and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. I hope all's well with everyone and that with just a week to go until half term, can you believe it? Everyone has got through this half term unscathed. There is also therefore not long to go until the year 11 and 13 marks need to be in, so I hope everyone has managed that process without too many headaches. In today's episode, we have a fascinating interview for anyone thinking about applying for a position as head of department, particularly interesting if you're applying for your first such position. Some sage advice from experts. We'll have another interview with an exhibitor from the Music Expo back in March. MTA committee member James Manwaring will give us the lowdown on a recent Zoom meeting discussing meaningful composition during lockdown. But first up, since we've entered this new normal of lockdown, so many businesses have offered their services for free to encourage musical learning to continue that we've almost been saturated with them. I say almost, as there is another amazing one I must tell you about, courtesy of the ABRSM. It's called Classical 100, and while it's nothing new to some, it is now available for the first time to many of us for free. I called the ABRSM to find out more. I'm very pleased to welcome Lincoln Abbott, Executive Director of ABRSM. Hi, Patrick. Good to see you, and uh, thanks for inviting me on. No, my pleasure. Now, tell us about Classical 100. What is it? The Classical 100, it's a fantastic resource of a hundred classical pieces of music spanning a thousand years. So it goes from Hildegard right the way to Graham Fitkin with everyone else you can imagine in between. Freely available recordings and resources to surround them. I'm a secondary teacher, so why have I not heard of this before? Until now, Patrick, it's it's been primarily aimed at primary schools. We devised it in 2015. It was a partnership between Classic FM and Decca Classics. Actually, originally came from schools ministers Nick Gibbs saying, how can we get more young people in primary schools listening to classical music? So we devised it with him and them. That's how it came about. And you've got a special offer going on, haven't you, for lockdown? Yeah, so I suppose to more extraordinary times that we're all living through, we got on the phone to Classic FM and to Decca Classics and we said, can we make this freely available to anyone who wants to try it out during this period of time? Specifically, Patrick, we were we were hoping to have it as an offer for families. So families are the new learning unit, aren't they? Everyone's spending more and more time together. And we really like the idea of families being able to listen to music together, have a go at some of the musical challenges that are presented, have a bit of fun with it, actually just get used to listening to some great classical tunes. You've just mentioned the the challenges. Could you just expand on that? So behind every piece of music, there's a musical challenge. It ranges from the kind of bit of fun, you know, make your own musical instrument and play the opening theme of a Beethoven symphony, right the way to, you know, really kind of uh, uh, more developed musical ideas about taking a piece of Debussy and creating your own tune using a whole tone scale. We could, in fact, just direct our students there with a bit of uh, structure and just let them run wild. Absolutely. And there's a whole kind of, you know, when young people love kind of winning badges and prizes so you can unlock 10 at a time, set yourself the challenge, go through all 100. Amazing. Tell us how to find it. So you can just go to the ABRSM website. We've developed a whole part of our website called Play On, which has got all sorts of resources to support teachers, parents and learners. And there's a big icon there saying Classical 100. Click on that. All you need to do is register and say you're a virtual school, because that's what we all are at the moment, living in our strange worlds, and you're in. And enjoy.
Brilliant, Lincoln. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks to Lincoln Abbotts, Executive Director of the ABRSM, for that overview of Classical 100. I know I say this a lot, but do go and have a look at it. It really is a terrific resource. And do make sure that you choose virtual school from the drop-down list of schools, as at the moment only primary schools are currently listed on there. Now, this is where I'd usually bring you any parish notices, such as announcements from the government. However, in the wake of some rather vague and bewildering statements from Number 10 this week, I'm not entirely sure what to say. The latest plan says that nursery, reception, Year 1 and Year 6 pupils will go back to school on the 1st of June, with all primary pupils then back at school a few weeks later. Year 10 and Year 12 pupils will apparently have some face-to-face tuition next half-term, though there's no clarity about how this will actually happen in terms of safety. Neither the British Medical Association nor the unions are happy about this vagueness, and as the government has not engaged with the unions to discuss any of these matters, it's not exactly sure what will happen. All I can suggest is pour yourself a stiff drink and take each day as it comes, because things seem to change day by day. If anyone has a hotline to the Prime Minister and thinks they can get me an interview, please shout. For now then, we'll have to content ourselves with a man whom I'd vote for to become Education Secretary in a flash, James Manwaring. James is the author of manwaringmusic.blog, full of incredible articles and advice. He's also an MTA committee member. On Monday the 11th of May, he chaired an online Zoom meeting about composition at home. Here's his summary. During a recent MTA Zoom session, we discussed the topic of composition. And we looked at it from the angle of composing at home during lockdown, but also the general concept of composition in the classroom and composition for our students. It was great to talk about the different ways that teachers tackle composition up and down the country and there were a few really interesting themes that came out that I wanted to share with you. One was this idea of small scale mini 15 second compositions that might explore a particular technique or a particular instrument and it was really great to hear about some of the innovative ways that students were exploring their instruments and exploring things like scat singing and vocalization rather than using traditional lyrics. We also looked at the idea of non-notated or non-traditional notated compositions where students graphically write things down or express themselves in different ways. Students that maybe don't want to use software to compose but actually want to write things down and how that might be an interesting avenue for composition. We looked at the idea of the listening composer and how students should be listening to music that can give them ideas and give them some stimulus for their own composition and how we might steer students towards particular genres or styles or composers in order to help them on their composition journey. Another thing discussed was the idea of them using their own instruments to actually come up with ideas creatively and to explore their instrument and to explore melodies. We touched on the idea of maybe as teachers providing them with backing tracks, chord progressions, beats, something like that that they can use to improvise along to and that out of those improvisations may come some ideas to use with their compositions. I think at the moment during lockdown there's so much out there for students to use and there are so many different bits of software, whether online or or programs downloaded on phones or computers, that we have a duty as teachers to actually find out what's worked for our students. Maybe when we come back to school after lockdown, we need to find out who enjoyed using Soundtrap, who enjoyed using Dorico, Sibelius, Cubase, all of these different bits of software that are out there. And then maybe we have a responsibility as teachers to make sure that we give our students the tools they need to be successful. 
And I would say that during this time, it is a good time to experiment. It is a good time to encourage them to be trying out different programs and different angles. And it might be that some students actually come up with their best ideas when they've got their instrument in their hand or they're sat at a piano. Or maybe they come up with ideas as they're listening and writing things down. One thing that I've looked at is how we can be thinking through compositions at home and trying to get students to plan ahead and to plan a composition, plan what instruments they're going to use, how they're going to handle it, how they're going to tackle it, how they're going to research it, what they're going to listen to. And I think it's also good to link composition to pieces that they're either playing in school, playing at home for their grades, or also um, pieces that they're studying as set works within the different uh, anthologies for the different exam boards. It was really great to talk about composition and really look at it from the angle of the student and how the student accesses that composition. And I think one thing that stuck with me is this idea of just making it fun and making the idea of coming up with musical ideas a really enjoyable process. And I hope that students who are composing at home have been enjoying a fresh opportunity to compose in different ways with different instruments and with different software. And I hope that after lockdown, they're going to come back and they're going to be able to create some wonderful compositions for their GCSE and their A-levels. Thanks to James Manwaring for that summary of a recent Zoom meeting. Very enlightening. And don't forget that if you are an MTA member, you can attend and contribute to these meetings live every Monday and Tuesday afternoon. Recently, they've moved back from 4.30pm to 3pm, but there is a chance they'll move again. We are trying to find the best time for everybody, so please bear with us. And check the MTA Staff Room Facebook group for up-to-the-minute information. And of course, if you miss a discussion, you can catch up with the recordings via the MTA Staff Room. Some other MTA news. In normal times, we would all be gearing up for the highlight of the year, the MTA Annual Conference, which was to have been held this weekend in St Paul's School, Barnes. Obviously, that can't happen, but instead, on Saturday the 30th of May, there will be an online virtual conference. Yes, MTA at home. It will feature a cocktail masterclass, entertainment from a very special pianist, a quiz, plus chat and networking in breakout rooms, temulant or otherwise. The AGM will also be held the same day, on Zoom. Full details can be found in the e-bulletin. Before the final feature of this podcast, there's time for a quick interview I did at this year's Music and Drama Expo back in March. It was great to walk around so many like-minded people and chat to exhibitors about their wares. This week, it's time for something traditional. Hello, I'm Peter Craig. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at the English Folk Dance and Song Society. And Peter, tell us, why should schools teach English folk songs? Well, schools should start by looking at English folk dance and folk tunes and folk songs and then developing them in whichever way they like. There's so many things that start from English folk or from folk in general and I think many people in England take folk music for granted or possibly even assume that there is no such thing as English folk music. If we were talking in Scotland or in Ireland then of course everybody knows about it as part of the culture, as part of the heritage. In England I think many people don't even realise it's there and therefore don't think that maybe this is something that they should be developing, that they should be and showing students that so much of our culture at some point has come from this, this wonderfully rich tradition. 
What key musical points can you learn easily through English folk song? I'm thinking like structure or melody. What are the main points that you think we can learn from English folk? Folk tunes, by their nature, are generally simple tunes, very, very easy to sing, very easy to pick up. So I think a large part of it is actually working out what melody is and discovering melody. The biggest thing of all, I think, is learning by ear. Is it something that many, many musicians of whatever age have hardly ever done? They've hardly ever discovered how to get inside a tune. From, from learning it without being wedded to the music, without actually reading it dot by dot. And it's a very different way of learning, and it's something that I think teaches people something new about music, at whatever age they are. So starting from that, they learn the tune from the inside, and then they learn how to develop it and how to expand it and how to make the tune their own by, by taking it whichever direction they like. That's one of the crucial things about folk music, is that we don't always do the same thing. We're not fixed in playing the same tune the same way, the way that people in past generations have done. You're free to do whatever you like with it. If you want to do something utterly different that somebody a generation ago would have said, you want? No, well that's fine, you could do it. And of course so many of the songs are so wonderfully catchy. Absolutely, yes. Now, the reason why these, these tunes have persisted over the generations is that people latch onto them, people remember them. It's a tune that you learned as a child. You can sing it again 40, 50 years on. It's there, it's embedded within you. And if music teachers want to find out more about the English Folk Dance and Song Society, where can they find you? Um, go to our website, which is efdss.org for English Folk Dance and Song Society. You'll find out a load of materials. The biggest thing that most educators will find there is our resource bank, which has around about 100 resources um, tagged by key stage and tagged by whether they're about dance or song or instrumental music or drama or various other things. So any educator is working in the classroom or in the community who'd like to discover some resources that they can tailor to their own purposes go onto the website, it's all free um, the PDF downloads are audio downloads and video downloads which you're very welcome to use, customise do whatever you like with Thanks to Peter Craig from the English Folk Dance and Song Society. I've always loved English folk songs but have struggled to find ways of getting them into my schemes of work so it was lovely to chat to Peter there Now It's May and the time of year that's usually rife with changes of job. NQTs seeking their first permanent position, other teachers looking to move on, and for many, applying for their first position as a head of music. This can be a daunting process and the reward at the end of the application, the job itself, can initially be quite tough. A few years ago, Patrick Gazard and Jane Werry, along with David Ashworth, co-authored an extremely useful book giving advice on this very subject, so I thought I'd have a chat to them to find out the lowdown. Hi, my name is Patrick Gazard and I am a former head of music having taught for 19 years including 12 years ahead of music and I now work for the Buckinghamshire Music Trust as their online curriculum development lead. Hi, I'm Jane Werry. I've been Director of Music at Hay School in Bromley since 1999 and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that four days a week and I do various other freelance things on my Tuesdays. Well, thank you to both of you for joining me. Tell me, what's your book called? This is called Being Ahead of Music, A Survival Guide. (laughs) Why a survival guide? Because it's a tough job. 
I think the role of the head of music is a very difficult job indeed, and it's very tricky to find anyone to ask. The reason I came up with the idea is I noticed two things. First of all, there were a lot of one-person departments around, and that concerned me because it's very difficult to talk to people. But the other thing I spotted increasingly was that NQTs were finding themselves in this job, either officially or unofficially, as in acting head of music or whatever. And I kept wondering to myself, how on earth are they going to do this? I don't know about Jane, but I mean, I did six years as an assistant before I became a head of music. And my first year as head of music was really, really tough indeed. So the idea of doing it without any guidance at all struck me as terrifying, really. And what I believed is if we could keep those people in those jobs for maybe two or three years, they may well stay and then you get continuity. Being a head of music requires such a bizarrely special skill set. It's not just being a teacher, it's not just being a musician, there's all of them managing people, events management, galvanizing people, whipping up a buzz in your department, and the financial side of things as well, and people coming in and you going out to places. There's just so many parts to it in an ideal world if you're able to do all of that in your school. And it, it can be quite overwhelming to keep all of those plates spinning. Even now, it amazes me how much juggling it requires and how much you can make your life easier by streamlining your systems. But that takes time to work that out. And music teachers just feel like they're on their own so much of the time. When I came up with the idea, I realised I couldn't write it on my own. I didn't want to write it on my own, but also I couldn't write it on my own because I wasn't a specialist at certain skills. So I needed people uh, such as Jane to come in and say, I need you to write this chapter because to be frank, you're better at it than I am. You're more experienced at it than I am. Yeah, in the introduction to your book, you list all the roles that the head of music has to play. Teacher, musician, performer, conductor, politician, diplomat, PR specialist, ambassador, visionary, colleague, team player, leader, manager, teacher, trainer, mediator, surrogate, parent, mentor, motivator, organiser, public speaker. I mean, that is a lot for one person to do. Part of the difficulty of that job is that many of these people who go into it are good at all this stuff and then my guess is they hit walls and they go in with the best of intentions and they're really good at it and then suddenly they find something they can't do which is completely human but they panic because there is no one to ask and that's why we wanted I mean for example the chapter about doing a school concert if you have been a number two you probably haven't run a school concert you've probably been in one but you quite probably haven't run one because your head of department did it all the same with paperwork and it is assumed I think by head teachers that you've done all this when you arrive but you very likely haven't because as both Jane and I know heads of music are control freaks so they have to be to a certain extent I think so therefore the number two often doesn't get a huge amount of look in. And then when you arrive, you discover that you've got all these things to do. And although you've been there for six years, you've never done any of it. So being in a school concert isn't the same as organising one. There's a lot to be gained, I think, by feeling your way and, and filtering what is actually important, especially with all of that admin and all of those forms. I've found over the years that people check that they've been done, but they don't check the content of them at all. There was one time, it's gone down in, in my school legend now, that I filled up my department development plan with verses from the Jabberwocky to see if anybody would notice. The only people that did notice were other hods who were looking at my development plan to get ideas for theirs. And of course, I, I had my real one stashed away somewhere. 
but I just thought, how, you know, is anybody actually going to read this? I'm just thinking about all the various roles listed in that book that we just mentioned, but doesn't every head of department in the school require multiple skills? The closest to music that I can think of is PE or drama. Is music so different? I've come to the conclusion over the years that music and PE are the subjects that have most in common. You know, it swings and roundabouts in lots of ways in that, yeah, we're juggling loads and loads and loads of stuff and we've got all of those different facets of our role and we're doing all of that extracurricular and managing all of those people. But there are upsides to it as well. You know, we don't take home boxes and boxes of books to mark like a maths teacher does. You know, it is swings and roundabouts. Um, I think the biggest difference is most subjects, and PE is the exception here, don't have public roles. You don't have to teach maths in front of 500 people. So I think it is swings and roundabouts, but I do think that the public aspect is slightly missed. Okay, here's a question that may help many of our listeners. If you were interviewing someone to be a new head of music, what kind of things would you be looking for? If we can take being a good musician and being a good teacher as given, then the other things that I would really be looking for would be adaptability and resilience. I I think those are absolutely the, the key qualities that I would want in a new head of music. But, you know, that is on top of being a great teacher and a great musician. And that's where it's difficult to find people who are strong with all four of those things. And you, Patrick? I would want them to have a vision as well, very much a vision for what the department was going to be in three years' time. It's the old cliche of how do you see yourself in five years' time? Well, assuming you're still going to be with us, how do you think we're going to be? And I I think that's a really important thing to have a vision and believe in that vision. A question I would ask is, if they are currently in a school, what frustrates you about the way that your current head of music does things? And what would you change? Because if the answer is nothing, then they haven't really got much imagination. You know, I really love it. Do you really? What, all of it? Because most of us are going out to be heads of department because we want to do different things because we can see routes that we would like to go down. It doesn't mean you have to go in and change everything, but you should be, you know, champing at the bit if you want to be head of department rather than, yeah, I'll just see how things go. You have got time, but nevertheless, in your head, You should be thinking, oh, I'd love to do this and I'd love to do that and I'd love to do that show and I'd love to do that. That's the sort of person I want as a head of music because that's what gets you through the difficult times because you've always got that belief in yourself and your vision. And I think it's really important. It sounds a bit airy-fairy, but I don't think it is. I think it's the opposite. I think I'd be very wary of anyone who was a bit vague or didn't really have any thoughts of their own and wasn't frustrated about what was happening where they were as I said, you know, at the beginning of chapter, why did you leave? I left because I wanted to do other things. I'm now a little bit worried that we're painting rather a gloomy image of the role. No one's going to want to do the job. I think, you know, we've talked about how difficult the job is, but as I also put in my the opening of chapter, it is the most exciting job. It is the most inspiring job. It is the most powerful job in the school because as we've seen during the lockdown, people need art, people need music. And you can give them that. You can give them that to the children you teach, but to their parents, to the staff, etc. You can put on inspiring things, either big stuff or small stuff. If you can get through the first year or so, which is hard, you will suddenly realise that it's the most exciting job in the school and one of the most exciting jobs in the world, I think.
Yeah, absolutely. Still there after 21 years. And I think if you've got the kind of senior leaders in your school who are either on side or who are persuadable by whatever Machiavellian means you can devise, if you can win them over, then the sky's the limit with what you can achieve. And there's pretty much no limits to what your imagination can do. And that's what I have particularly loved about doing the job and why I'm still there. And just before we go, tell us how we can get a copy of the book. Uh, you go to uh, www.musichod.com and that will take you to it. And it's an e-book and you can download the first chapter about designing the curriculum. Uh, that's free. So literally you have nothing to lose by downloading that chapter. If you like it, you can buy the rest of it. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. Thank you, Patrick Gazard and Jane Wherry, who, along with David Ashworth, are the authors of Being Ahead of Music, A Survival Guide, which is, I think, now having read about a third of it, essential reading for any music teacher, and particularly any aspiring head of music, or indeed any existing head of music, who needs a little helping hand. Thank you both very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Without wishing to labour a point, if you're considering applying for your first Head of Music position, I would urge you to get a copy of that book, an invaluable resource. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from Patrick and Jane in future podcasts, not least because it turns out that Patrick is a massive jazz fan, as am I. Later in the year, I'll be doing a jazz special podcast, as I think it's one of those musics that many feel is impenetrable. But, well, it isn't, if guided properly. If you're interested in discovering some new jazz, then do check out Patrick's radio show, The Jazz Hour, on Wickham Sound 106.6 FM. That's obviously Patrick Gazzard's show. I'm not talking about myself in the third person. Patrick thinks that would be weird. And there we are. Another episode of Teaching Notes is done. Thank you for listening, and thank you to our guests, Patrick Gazzard, Jane Werry, Peter Craig, James Manroring, and Lincoln Abbotts. If you'd like to take part in a future podcast, please do email me media at musicteachers.org I would love to hear from you and help share your ideas. If you're not yet an MTA member, well why not? It's a bargain at just a little over £60 a year for which you get so much the Termini Magazine Ensemble full of interviews, features and resources the twice weekly Zoom meetings and of course the annual conference this year on the 30th of May as mentioned earlier. And please do get stuck in on the Facebook MTA staff room there's lots of great discussion but we can always do with more. Full information about joining the MTA is available at musicteachers.org. Please do help spread the word about this podcast as well. We've had over a thousand listens so far, which is wonderful, but we're keen to spread the word further. Please share it on social media, tell your friends and colleagues about it, and of course, do get in touch to take part yourself. Thank you for listening to Teaching Notes with me, Patrick Johns. Make sure you catch the next edition next week. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.